gentlemen, it's just the three of us. It is the Wells Fargo Championship. I am here with at Sticks Picks with at Draftmaster Flex. We are Win Daily, and we bring you our Tuesday night PGA live stream every single Tuesday. With that said, gentlemen, how you doing? Let's start with you, Sticks. We haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. How's everything been going? Yeah, it's been going very well. Sorry, I was uh, prepping for a golf tournament two weeks ago, so that's why I was off then. And then uh, my buddy Fulty right behind me here was pitching last Wednesday or Tuesday, and uh, I couldn't miss that. And it was like 85 degrees out for like the first time in Illinois, so I had to grill out and... Uh, you know, you know how it goes, but I'm excited today. Just did the Better Golf podcast as well, so I'm as locked in as I could be. Got a North Carolina shirt on for Quail Hollow today, so shout oh, out to them. Nice. Uh, let's get after it, though, boys. Hey, Joel, before I get to you, I want to dig in just a little bit deeper uh, to what Nick said. How is Fulty doing? I, I know his the last outing I recall, he was actually really good. Um, how, it, what's going on with Fulty? Dude's been good. He's uh, his whip's a little bit high, but it's just on the. It's only hits. Like he's not walking anybody. I think he's got four quality starts already. So he's doing extremely well. And Texas Rangers are getting a hell of a discount on his salary this year. But it's just a, a prove it year. So right now he's doing the right things to get a good contract next year. So that'll be fun. And I know you're tight with him, so you probably know the answer to this question. How old is Fulty? He is 29. Okay, so he's got a good six, seven, eight years ahead of him, most likely, barring injury. Yes, sir. Yeah, barring injury. He should, he should get a nice uh, four or five-year deal coming up here, I think. so. That's fantastic. Uh, if he gives up two runs, though, they lose because Texas is terrible. But um, I don't know, maybe that offense will wake up now that Willie Calhoun's back, too. So he's a good player. I have a Moneyline parlay that includes uh, the Texas Rangers opponent tonight. So we'll get to that later. Joel, how are you doing? What's going on, man? I'm doing well. I'm excited to get after it again this week. Um, for those of us who, who followed along last week, I had a pretty good day in showdown on Sunday. I gave out Jank, who was playing in Discord, and Hovland. I just missed it in hitting the, the big the big 50K again. So I'm feeling good about how my picks are going. I'm trending in the right direction. It's time to just take one down. Yeah, man, that that's uh, that usually comes around like once every three months for you. So I'm looking forward to that. So I'll tell you what I'm not looking forward to. It's the Wells Fargo Championship, which of course I'm looking forward to. But when I saw the pricing Monday early afternoon, and by the way, I don't know, I don't know you know, for those of you watching or those of you listening later on, I mean, I'm one of those guys that's like checking to see if the pricing is out like every like seven or eight minutes because I just love DFS golf. I mean, it's just one of those things. When I saw the pricing, it made me think of the Zurich Classic because at the Zurich Classic, if you remember, the pricing was completely out of whack. It, it legitimately looked like DraftKings had made a mistake with the pricing, right? And so I didn't feel that way this time, but when I tried to make a lineup right off the bat, I was like, oh no, if you try to jam in like a really expensive elite guy, which we'll talk about that range in a second, and you know, a middle tier, maybe 9K guy, you're left with like pocket change left, like 7,500 or 7,400 uh, for the next four players that you want to choose. So uh, my question for you, I'll start with you, Joel. Have you tried to make any lineups yet? And did you run into the same problem or you just kind of have a different opinion than I do? No, it's similar, similar. Not, not the exact same in that it does feel I just the, the vibe I'm getting this week, it's very top heavy. Um, now, there are, you know, when I built out my, I'm looking at the few week, there are a few of the top range guys that are uh, just not at the same tier as the others. So there's a clearly a fade way to go. But you're right, it's going to have to be some sort of stars and scrubs because it just seems like the top 20 to 25 guys are just, head and shoulders above everyone else. So you kind of want to cram them in. And then in all likelihood, and we'll see how the week goes on, but in all likelihood, it seems like a lot of people are going to be on the same value guy. So you're going to have to either eat chalk or, you know, find a way to get different and take some risks. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and Nick, uh, same question for you. Uh, have you made any lineups yet? You probably just completed the Better Golf Pod, I'm guessing, which which is kind of more geared towards betting. But I suspect you've looked at making some uh, DraftKings lineups as well. So how did you feel when you were making those lineups? I 100% echo what you said. I'm having a hard time because, um, and like Joel said too, like you, if you find a value guy, it's going to be chalk. So I'm trying to find a way to get different. I think I have a couple guys for you as we get into it here, but yeah, overall, like I was just going over my cash lineup that I, I always build that first. And then I get weird with tournaments later, but that cash lineup is, I don't have one guy in the 10 K range in my cash lineup. And that scares the hell out of me. Cause I think this is going to be a top heavy tournament, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I mean, 
guys like Jason Day are showing up in my optimal cash lineups. And I guess like, sure, he's got the upside to be a 10K golfer, but we haven't seen it in over a year. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm with you. I do not like this tournament. Usually that goes well for me for some reason in DFS, but I'm not comfortable at all making any build. I just, it seemed like DraftKings is kind of jamming you into the same guys like Joel was saying. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how a lot of like, especially in NFL, like w- the lineups kind of build themselves. At time. I know people say that as uh, their reason for making a lineup train and we can get into that another day and I could rant on those people who do that. But I really get that feeling right now. It's like, okay, I take my top guy, then I scroll down a little bit to the 9K range, and then I pick him. That's like, okay, every single lineup I have is like, oh, I have the same three guys remaining. I don't like it. It's, it's tough right now. Yeah, and just real quick, the, those of you in the in the chat, what's up, S guy? What's up, Stoby? That would be cool if you went to Quail Hollow, by the way, uh, because if you do, uh, we'd like whatever inside information you you may have. That would be uh, pretty cool. Um, I heard it's I heard it's burnt out. That's all I know right now is that I, even on Twitter, there's people that have taken pictures. It looks dry, and it's going to be very, very, very quick. So it should be fun to watch, regardless of how much money we win or lose this week, I guess. For sure. And before we get into this elite range, 10K and above, uh, I got to ask you, because you brought up Jason Day, Nick. Um, Have you seen the picture floating around? I guess it was his press conference today, floating around, you know, Twitter today, uh, the Jason Day picture. No, I'll look it up right now. But do enlighten me. What what is it? Well, I think it was. I think the guy I saw originally posted. I think it was Joe from from Jock Market. I don't know if you guys are familiar with with Jock Market, but it's kind of like the the latest sort of um betting craze or whatever. It's, I think it's a pretty good product. But he's the one who posted it, and no joke. He literally looks like Kira Deck. Oh, oh I see it. I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You made that post. <laughs> that's. The, I mean, that's the I, I'm like, he, he looks like like he's gained like 15, 20 pounds. A little he beefy. He hasn't shaven. Like, I, I don't know that that's necessarily like a bad or a good thing, but it does kind of like, I'm not really a Jason Day guy anyway, but it does kind of make me like a touch worried. Does, does, does st- when you see stuff like that, does that ever, do you, does it ever give you pause? You're like, whatever, it doesn't really matter. It's golf. He's going to be fine. I'm going to blame it on the turtleneck. I don't think a turtleneck <laughs> looks good on anybody. So I think that's like squeezing his neck and making his face, you know, just a little little chubbier than it should be. I think Jason Day is going to be in good form. And uh, if anything, he packed on some weight to hit the ball a little further. All right. Now that's, that's, a nice, that's a nice twist. Any comments there, Joel? Yeah, I'll tell you what he's doing. It's quite obvious, right? I think everyone see how Harry Higgs is playing. He modeled himself after Harry Higgs. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, that's true. Harry Higgs is, is a stunner. Um, there's no Body question of the it. American athlete. I like that. That's uh, I, I will say I question anyone's decision making to, to Nick's point uh, that wears a turtleneck. Like, what are we what are we doing? By the way, it's North Carolina and it's like basically summer. So what I don't even I don't I'm sorry. I can't I can't I can't subscribe to that. All right. Let's go to that elite range. 10K and above. We got Justin Thomas, Bryson DeChambeau, John Rahm, Xander Shoffley, Webb Simpson, Roy McElroy. I personally think you can make really good arguments for at least four out of the six of these guys. And I think there's three guys that, that are almost, I don't want to say bulletproof, but, but that like, if you made a decision, you know, this guy above those other two, I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. Like I can't really make an argument uh, against that. So, and clearly I, I think you guys probably already know those of you listening probably already know I'm speaking of Justin Thomas, Bryson and John Rahm. I don't think there's a lot of flaws in their game, specifically when you talk about, how they relate to this particular course. I think the next guy down is probably Webb Simpson, and I think he's he's a great play. And then I'm not so sure about Xander and Rory. So, Joel, I'll start with you. Who do you like in this range? Yeah, and as I dive into everything, I think one thing I want to kind of bring everyone up to speed on, for me, is I'm, I'm heavily weighting a new stat that I haven't been doing until recently. And I think it's for tournaments, especially GPPs, it's going to be good. And what it is, it's three-putt avoidance. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, we like to target a lot of ball strikers and things like that. But what happens is we find guys like, and this might not be relevant for this tournament, but just in general, like more recently, guys like Doug Gim, who've been, they strike the ball, but he can't make putts and it's mm-hmm. just constantly falling apart. And so what's happening is like, there's guys that seem like obvious plays because they're striking the ball so well, but they're just not ending up in the winning lineup and they're not doing what we expect them to do. So when I sprinkle in my little three putt avoidance, it's kind of helping me weed out some of those guys that maybe just are striking the well, but they're really kind of losing on, on the greens. And I think that's narrowed it down. Because honestly, I'd rather a guy who did be a slightly worse ball striker 
but it's a little bit more consistent in the games where they're not getting giving up strokes that way. So mm-hmm. uh, with that being said, I think I'm, I'm hoping I'm onto something. We'll, we'll stay tuned. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's kind of you might see a little bit of a different types of plays coming from me recently. So looking at this top range, uh, most of these top guys, you know, typically aren't like terrible putters. So we shouldn't see too big of an issue there. Um, you know, in, in the top range, like, I'm probably going to be fading Webb Simpson for the most part, mainly just because I think he's just a, a tier below the rest. And I think we're going to get a little bit va- better value mm-hmm. um, in looking at Thomas DeChambeau, Rahm, and Shoffley. These guys are all so good. You can't go wrong. If you have a hunt on any of them, you know, by all means, go for it. Uh, but I don't really necessarily have one heavily weighted over another. I'll probably be playing the most of JT because I like him the most, but uh, they're all pretty close for me. So if, if you're playing JT the most, who would be the second guy you'd be clicking the most? Um, br- I hesitated Br- Bryson. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, and I think we all hesitate when we say Bryson. We just don't know what to expect. He probably has the lowest floor, at least of the top four, three or four guys that we're talking about. But he, he certainly has the, the biggest upside, too, especially when you look at his off-the-tee numbers and how off-the-tee is going to play in this course. So yeah, I, I think that's a good answer there. Uh, Nick, who do you like in this elite range? John Ram. Next question. Oh, there we go. See, okay. That's cool. Like, you don't even have to. I like it. Um, and John Rahm's probably my favorite, too. Uh, he he has a great floor, I think, the way he's just top 10 in every single tournament. And off the tee, looks great. So um, I think we can go to the next one. I mean, I, I think that's totally fair. So well, Can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Because about Rahm. Mm-hmm. He's consistently top 10 every tournament. Really getting top fives, even, right? It's just kind of been like, in the top of the 10 range, he's not been, he hasn't been winning recently. What is he missing? Why isn't he closing? He's obviously good enough. So like, what about his game? Does he need to, what gap does he need to bridge for him to get there? Yeah. I mean, get Nick, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it, it's a tough question because when you look at the matrix, the, the matrix, when you look at the metrics, he's literally gaining everywhere in a pretty significant way. I mean, I think a lot of these guys, Joaquin Neiman is one of them that we'll talk about. He's 9,100. He's one of those guys that if you look at his tournament by tournament, He'll crush it off the tee. He'll crush it on approach. And then he'll have a bad putter. He'll be okay around the green. The very next tournament, he's great with the putter. He's great around the green. And he's okay on approach. And, you know, he's great off the tee. And then the next tournament, it's the approach game that's lacking. So I just think for Rom, he just hasn't really, like, put it all together. I've noticed that he's sort of backdoored a lot of these top tens lately because, you know, he's having, he's having a great Sunday. But – that I'm not going to take away from him just because he's backdooring it on Sunday because he's he's still hitting the shots, whether it's Sunday or Saturday or, or, or what have you. So I just think the way his game looks, he he seems like the guy that's like about to win. And I can say the same about Justin Thomas and Bryson DeChambeau, although I think the arguments against those two guys are a little different. I think John Rahm gives you the most consistency. That's a hundred percent why I like him. And, and like you said, I think what I like him the most about him right now is his around the green and off the tee is so safe. That's something I weighted very heavily this week. So I'm just going to go to him. I don't want to mess with the volatility of Rory at that ownership. I know he just wiped the floor with this field a couple years ago at Quail Hollow. Bryson, I, I certainly love him too. Like if I had to choose two guys, it'd be Bryson and John Rahm. It scares me about Justin Thomas. I think he was number one in strokes gained in every single stat last week besides putting where he just was awful. Yeah. So certainly if he gets the flat sick roll in, like he could dominate this field. We've, we've seen it at the players with how good he could be, and we've seen it just for years with him. But Webb Simpson, I'm not on him as much just because how much I like distance at this course. And Xander, he just hasn't been playing well, so I'm not going to mess with it. But, yeah, my, my guy is John Rahm here with an honorable mention to Bryson. Yeah, and I think – go ahead. I just want to run one take by you guys. So here's why – you know, I like Rahm, and I think in a cash lineup, he probably does have the highest floor, so I would love him in that type of a tournament. Um, I guess something with me is I just, I, I'm having a hard time seeing him win the tournament. You know, and at this price, we're looking for – I mean, for me, I'm looking for the winner. And I just see a better chance of Bryson or JT coming out and having a hot week and winning. Whereas I think, you know, if I was betting a top 10 market, I'd probably like Rom the most of either because the other guys are more volatile. But I think they also the volatility gives them a higher percentage of winning. Yes and no. I mean, I think if you're that elite and you are top 10 in mm-hmm. tournaments at that rate, the, the odds are, I mean, 
I mean, it's not like the odds are super significant that he's going to win the tournament, but the odds are you are going to eventually win. If you're if you're consistently around the top five and we know you're already an elite player, like it's different if you're talking about like Keegan Bradley, for example, who we'll talk about later. Like, I don't expect him to keep up this pace the entire year, but it's looking like Rom is going to keep up this pace. So really what it comes down to is, is Rom keeping up the pace and, and everybody else just kind of wilting at the right time for Rom to win. And that that's sort of how I see it. Um, but I think you're right. I think you could make the argument that JT and Bryson have the bigger upside, but that doesn't mean just to ha- just because they have bigger upside, it doesn't mean that Rom's not going to win. It just means that that you, to your point, that volatility will will vault them in first, maybe a couple more times versus a John Rom. But um, I, the, the argument Nick you just made about JT, I mean, I think that's the argument. If if he if the putter regresses, and you know, I'm talking about regressing to the mean, and so that he's like a zero putter or, or minus one putter instead of like a minus seven, which he was last week. He wins the tournament. He wins last week and he would win this week too. So there's a there's a very good argument for JT as well. I mean, it's one of those things. I play single entry. I play three max. I'll probably have more of Rom, but I'm definitely going to sprinkle in uh, Bryson and JT. I might have a couple shares of Webb, but, but I'm kind of with you guys. Even though he lives on this course, he's not really the best course fit. And his, his finishing positions the last five years, a few missed cuts and like an 18th and a 21st, it's not it's not indicative of a guy that has just mastered this course. So um, I like him. I just don't like him enough, I guess. Um, let's go to the 9K range real quick. Um, Nick, I'll start with you. It's a pretty small range. Uh, we've got Victor Hovland, Patrick Cantlay, Tony Finau, Will Zalatoris, Patrick Reed, Corey Connors, and Joaquin Neiman, and the defending champion from 2019, actually, because this was canceled last year, Max Homa. I think there's a lot to like in this range. I think there's a couple sort of semi-contrarian plays you can have in this range. With that said, who do you think you're rolling with, Nick? Man, that's tough. Um, Like we were talking about before we got on air, uh, this is kind of the range that my model really loves this week. So overall, like Hovland, you can't say a bad thing about him besides maybe the ownership's going to creep up to like 25%. He graded out sixth overall for me, so that matches up as a value at 9.8K. Patrick Cantley grades out as one of my best GPP plays. Um, Model He checked every single box that I was looking for, especially the around the green game and putting. I think if the greens are that fast, he's going to be, you know, someone that could really gain strokes putting. Tony Finau, Model absolutely loves him. Will Zalatoris, what isn't there to like about Will Zalatoris? Besides, again, his ownership may creep up to like 25%. Patrick Reed, I'm going to be off him this week, and Corey Connors is the easiest fade that, I could possibly have. I think my model had him at like 33rd and he hasn't been outside the top 15 in over two months. So Corey Connors, I'm sorry, buddy, you're out this week, but Joaquin Neiman, I think my model, I think he's the number one overall value. Let me go to points per dollar here. Third. So it goes, well, we'll talk about number one value this week for me in a bit. He's right below John Rahm and then Joaquin Neiman. So I think Neiman's going to be a staple in cash and GPPs for me. I don't care what his ownership is. That's just a guy that I love. But, man, it's I don't know what to do. I'm excited for your guys' answers just regarding Finau, Zal Torres, and um, Hovland just because their ownership's going to be so crazy there. Maybe not Finau, but Zal Torres and Hovland certainly are everybody's favorite. So I don't know yeah. what to do there. Before Joel, before I kick it to you, a, a couple comments. I mean, Neiman was a guy that before I looked at any stats, like as soon as the sort of like on Saturday when we saw who was playing in this tournament for the most part, Neiman just popped out at me knowing we were going to be at Quail Hollow. Not because he has a great history here. It's a missed cut in a 36th place finish. But, you know, that's, you know, two years ago and three years ago, Joaquin Neiman is, is kind of this future star, in my opinion. And, and the metrics match up. He's great off the tee. You might not think so when you look at him, but um, he's great off the tee. So I, I like that play. I, I'm really curious, though, because because Joel, I'm going to kick this to you in a second. Corey Connors actually rates out much higher in my model. And I understand how, how chalky Corey Connors has been. I don't think he's going to be quite as chalky in this tournament because there's so many good guys around him. But Joel, I'm really curious where Corey Connors falls on your radar because uh, I'm a fan. I, I I was a fan last week. He was okay. He was he was actually a little below average when it, when you talk about his price and his value, but I, I still like him. I still think he rates out pretty well. Where do you stand? I I like him. I don't love him. I think my my final verdict on Connors will come down to what his ownership looks like, kind of come Wednesday night. Um, if it looks like he's going to be chalky again, I'd feel comfortable getting away from him. Um, if it does look like you're going to be able to get some value where he won't be as chalky, then I, I will go back to him because at the bottom of the 9K range, I think 
we're going to need like that price difference we're going to need, especially if we're going to take one of the elite guys. So we're going to have to get creative on how we do roster construction. I think that would be one way to do it. But I think an interesting take, and it's kind of the flip-flop of Connors and with uh, Cantley. I'm actually surprised Nick really liked Cantley. I, I thought it was that people were going to laugh at the take that I was going to have today. And I know people hate when I say this is the reason to play somebody because it's not a logical reason to do it. But it, it's true. This is what happens, right? Patrick Cantley is too good to have this long of an extended streak of bad play. Right? He's he's This isn't like a mediocre golfer. This is a top 10, 15 golfer in the world. That positive regression is coming. Whether it's this week or in the next two or three tournaments, he's not going to go all year, just like kind of falling off. So you want to catch that before it happens, right? And everyone else gets on him. And right now, at this ownership uh, in this field is like this is the week to have him because if he does come up and he has one of those weeks where he's back and you're five percent owned, you're going to have such a huge difference in in this field because everyone's flocking to the Connors, the you know Roms, and and what have you, and and no one's playing Neiman because of bad form, but. It's different with bad form when playing guys in the top 15 in the world. They're too good. It's not going to last that long versus guys who are mediocre golfers when they're in bad form. You can't go to them because you just need to see them come across because they're just not that consistent. So I was saying the opposite with Connors. I, I don't think Connors is that good. So, you know, he's not going to be a top 20 every week for the rest of the year. Eventually, the regression is going to start coming. And that's where I was starting to say, let's see where the chalk is. If people start coming off of him, you know, I'll still play, ride him a little bit. But if people are still going all in on him, I think it's time for me to start uh, looking in another direction. Yeah, I mean, f- let me say this about Connors, though, because, I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with you that he's not as good as he's showing. But if we just go by this calendar year, maybe the last 36 rounds, I mean, if you look at off the tee, I mean, fifth in this field off the tee. If you look at approach, he's sixth. There's really the, the only thing that's really failing him is the around the green game, which which could come into play here. Um but everything else, I mean, it really checks out. You know, that two, that proximity 200 yards plus, he's 20th. Um, proximity 175 to 200, he's 36. Like, all of these are really checking out. So, I mean, I, again, he, he could fall back down to earth. But, I mean, this might – I wonder if this is actually who who Corey Connors is. Uh, maybe not, but, but I just wonder that. I will say this about your Cantley plays. He will be the lowest-owned guy most likely from 9K and above. Not just in this range, 9K and above – like probably Roy will be uh, a couple percentage points higher than him and everybody else will probably be in the double digits, 10% and above. So the contrarian play is act- even in a single entry, you know, you could get contrarian there um, with a Cantley because like you said, Cantley's good. Like we know Cantley objectively is good, but just has been bad lately. So you can really pick up a lot of leverage with a Cantley uh, before we get to the 8k range, Nick, any thoughts on, on that? No, I love Cantley. I'm I'm pumped that Joel's on him as well. I like you said, it's Patrick Cantley in a good field, and he's going to be five percent owned, and he's under 10k. We haven't seen him under 10k in quite some time. Give mm-hmm. me, yeah, Cantley will be a staple in my single entry lineups. I think him and Neiman are pretty much my uh, my one and two that I'm starting most lineups with. Now that we we start to talk about it, and now that I got the blessing with Cantley, I love to see that both you guys are on him too. So, yeah, for especially for single entry, that's just great great leverage there. Let me ask you this before we get to that 8K range. Are any of you going to be on Max Homa, the defending champion, in any capacity? Cash games. He's in my cash game lineup, I think, for tournaments. I don't know. I mean, he's a really good fit, too. Like, you could play those three guys right there, and what do you have left? But, yeah, Joel, go ahead. I'll give you that answer shortly. I like Homa a lot. I mean, we are playing a bit of form for him, but you know, he's more in the peak of that. We've seen in the last four or five tournaments, he, he, including the – the team tournament where they did pretty well with this team, right? He's been, he's been on point. This course looks to fit him really well. What I don't like is that, you know, they price adjusted him where I would have liked him maybe $800 cheaper would have felt a little bit more comfortable, but Mm -hmm. the way he's playing, I just think he's going to compete. Even, you know, I can't promise a top 10, but I just think he's going to compete. He's going to be in there. So he'll be in my, in my lineups this week. So Nick, how much did you have left when you put in? I assume you put in Homa, Neiman, and Cantley. Is that right? Sure did. And I just won the 200K to first flop shot with that lineup. So don't even worry <laughs> about it. But it, no, this thing's great. Um, well, well, let me ask you this. How much money did you have left over per player for the three it was remaining? 7,400, I believe. Okay. So if you want to let me know what you build with that. But it was, uh, I'll tell you the other three guys, Matt Wallace. Carlos Ortiz and Matt Jones. So if you yeah. guys want to split the 200K to first with me, play that lineup and you got it. I'd be more than happy to share. 
Yeah, I'm a big fan. We'll get to the 7K range. I'm a big fan of at least one uh, and probably two of, of those guys you just nice. mentioned. Um, 8K range. Joel, I'll start with you. This is another pretty small range. I'll go ahead and this will be the last time I, I name the actual people because it's pretty limited. We've got answers. Sungjae, Brian Harmon, Jason Day, Keegan Bradley, Cameron Tringale, Bubba Watson, Shane Lowry, Emiliano Grillo, Harris English, and Tommy Fleetwood. Uh, Joel, who do you like here? Yeah, so I think this range is pretty interesting. I think we can get a lot of value here um, in kind of rounding out our lineups. The first person I'm going to go to is Emiliano Grillo. Um, yep. You know, he, he missed the cut at, at the Valspar. Before that, he was really hit, striking it really well. Um, he's going to grade out super well on these long par fours, which this course has a ton of, the proximity 200 plus. Um, and at this price, right, he's at the bottom of the AK range. So it allows us to still get maybe one or two of those guys in the elite range and kind of round out our lineups. Um, as I go up, you know, in this range, I, I like Tringale. I like Bradley. Um, I think if you're, if you're going by the thought process of let me just get a bunch of good ball strikers in my pool, and hope that these all these guys just, you know, put together some good putting and, and they have a good week. These are the guys that target, right? These guys ball striking. They've shown it over the last few weeks. It's been on point at this price. It's, it seems fair. Um, and the last play in this play that I really like, and I've been on a lot, and I, I think you guys might disagree with me, but I just really like Sungjae. I think Sungjae is a little underrated. Um, he competes every week. He doesn't really have a glaring weakness at all. You know, his, 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 his iron play more recently has been inconsistent, but it's not something that we've seen. It's not something that he has shown to be good at over the long term. So uh, I just I like Sungjae a lot. Yeah, I like I like those plays. Nick, what do you have in the 8K range? All right, this was another tough range for me. So I think Sanjay is probably my favorite. And then Jason Day and Cameron Tringali. I, I like Bubba Watson and GPPs a little bit. I'll always play Shane Lowry just because I think the upside for him is elite. And then for Harris English, I'm going to be off him. I know he's going to be unknown to Grillo. I'm not going to go back to him after what he just did last week. I think 11% to 15% range of ownership on Grillo is a suicide mission in especially in single entry. I'm out on that, but my overall models, uh, favorite GPP play for this range is my boy, Tommy Fleetwood. And I will definitely ride him this week for sure. He checks every single box for me on this course. And I think we get a really, really, really good outing out of Tommy Fleetwood. Let me ask you this about Tommy Fleetwood. When you're doing your modeling, how far back do you typically go? Or do you just mix it up? I go no further back than six months besides mm -hmm. course history. And I don't weight course history very strongly, but I do have a little bit of a little bias to course history this week. Cause this is kind of a course that it's it, like strokes gain course history does mean something here, mm -hmm. but yeah, no more than six months and it's different weights based on different sections. So there's a 30 day, a 45, you know, and I kind of weight it all differently mm -hmm. that way. But for gotcha. the most part, I, I want a six month sample size for these guys. Gotcha. Because I can tell you with my, I have a more limited sample size and it's not weighted like yours, but like Tommy Fleetwood doesn't rate out particularly well. So I'm actually asking the question in the sense of like, what is it about Tommy Fleetwood's game? I mean, obviously he's typically good with the irons, but like, what, is there something in particular like, all right, this is a, this is a Tommy Fleetwood course. It's time for him. Let me actually check like what graded him so well. So around the green, as his stroke saying around the green has been really solid just over his career in general. Mm -hmm. um, the course history, where are we at with him? I don't know if it's – it's pretty strong. Um, so he had a good grade for course history, even though I – actually, it's not that strong at all. I'm sorry. What am I looking at here? Driver distance was good and then off the tee. So I, I don't know. Gotcha. It's my model – pushed them up a bunch. The approach like wasn't that high of a rating for me this week at all. It's really weighted to around the green. That's something that I think that Tommy Fleet was going to be very good at. And if mm -hmm. this course is that burnt out, I think it's kind of going to play like a year, of course. Yeah, that, that's a really fair comment. I don't know if you flashed this comment up there from Stobie, but um, you know, greens being burnt, it's going to be hard to land it on the green and keep it on the green. Obviously, especially with, with your proximities from 175 to 200 plus, um, that's going to be a challenge. I'll tell you though, I do like, go ahead, Joel. I just have a quick question. So I, I was, you know, I was, I, I Nick, obviously you run some really good models. And so I'm trying to understand because my, when I run mine, I usually only do it over the last four to eight tournaments because I want to see what's happening now. Right. And mm -hmm. so I want to kind of be pitched the argument of why to go back even further and how that data might tell a better story versus just doing maybe the last four to eight tournaments. 
Well, I think it's just, you know, maybe a guy's injured or maybe there's too much travel and last year was kind of a weird year too. I, I don't know. I just think like when I've done the back testing for it, the six months was kind of the sweet spot for the actual outcome of these tournaments. So like I wanted my model to, you know, give a one through 20 and have 11 guys every week finish in the top 20. They're like, all right, now I'm kind of getting something that's somewhat accurate and actually predictive. And that's going to be very hard. Like there's always going to be outliers. It's golf. It's a very volatile sport. But when I was doing the back testing, it took me, you know, pretty much from the Super Bowl until a little bit before the Masters that I really got to something that I liked and it started being consistently good. Uh, six months was kind of the number and we can get into that um, offline. But yeah, that's it, it took a long time and people that were smarter than me helping me out. And that's kind of what we found was the the strong point for back testing with the weights that I have. Not it's not like six months is weighted and that's all that I use. Like I said, it's different sections of that timeline. Yeah, and and I I typically go to like the thirty six round metric. I might check fifty rounds, which which kind of like comes up to that six months, but not really. Like I guess Nick's probably a little bit more than me, but I definitely think like the thirty six round mark is going to give you a bigger picture than maybe like the, the like the four to eight rounds. But you know, it, it really kind of just depends on what works for you. The cool thing is is if you're doing something with a, a shorter sample size. It's not like you don't know the golfers. So let's say you're only do, running it like 16 or, or 24 rounds. Well, if Dustin Johnson isn't rating out well in your 24-round model, well, guess what? You know Dustin Johnson is really good, and you've watched golf, so you can kind of you can kind of decipher, okay, why is he not grading out? Was it this one bad tournament? Well, it doesn't matter. It's still Dustin Johnson. So you can kind of like consciously bump him up so that like there's – everybody does it differently, but to, to – I, I know you didn't ask me, but like – the six month thing makes sense to me. 36 rounds makes sense. And then if c- cutting it down even further, especially knowing who these golfers are also makes sense. So it kind of just depends on what's working for you. Um, it's, it's a really interesting question though, because I think it's so funny because you're going to get a different answer from everybody. And even if you get the same answer in terms of how far you go back, six months, 50 rounds, 36 rounds, whatever it is, well, they're putting different weights on the metrics that they find important. So like everybody's model is going to be inherently like vastly different from the other. So it really just, for those of you listening, you know, a lot of these people that are listening do the models as well. It's just, you got to find what works for you. If, you're, if you've done 20 models for 20 weeks in a row and you're not winning any money, like there's something wrong with your model or there's something wrong with your approach to making the model. So you have to kind of you know, listen to other people, see like, you know, what Nick or what Joel, you know, like likes to wait. These guys are winning a lot of money. So um, that that's how that goes. So 8K range, real quick, guys, I like, I don't like a ton in this range. I, I do agree with Sungjae. I'm not really a Sungjae guy typically, but I do agree that that's a really smart play. Um, I really like Emiliano Grillo though, especially because of his price. I mean, I think, I think if he was like 8,600, I'd probably like waver a little bit, but I think 8,100 is such a fair price for how well, He's been playing outside of the missed cut. But in 2018, on this course, he finished ninth. 2017, he finished 42nd. Uh, 2016, 61st. So he's made three cuts in a row here. So he's not necessarily a bad course fit. And by the way, if you look at his off the tee numbers in the last 36 rounds, they're actually quite good, better than you might think. I think he's somewhere like 16th or 17th last 36 rounds. So um, I like him a lot. And I do like Bubba. I'm not a Bubba guy, but I actually I like Bubba quite a bit. So um, let's get to the 7K range, though. I don't know. Um, let's start with Nick, actually. This is a huge range. So maybe pick out like three or four guys that you just you just know you're going to be clicking. All right. Well, number one value on my model overall this week, points per dollar, is Matt Wallace. So I know he's popular, too. And that's kind of like what I said. Like when you make those lineups, it kind of just forces you to you look at current form. You look at all the top finishes that you have. You're like, all right, I'm playing Matt Wallace. So I hate that. But my model loves him. Taylor Gooch, I think this is a really good course fit for Taylor Gooch. I was indifferent about Ricky Fowler and Kevin Streelman, but I, I think their ownership is going to be a little bit too high for me. Maybe not Streelman, uh, but Carlos Ortiz and Matt Jones, are, I guess. So my four, sorry, ranting here, but it's going to be Taylor Gooch, Matt Wallace, Carlos Ortiz, and then honorable mention the Matt Jones, and then maybe a sneaky GPP guy, Maverick McNeely. That's sorry, that's like five guys, but it's too hard. No. Like you said, there's too many guys here. Uh, you could throw you could throw eight guys. I was just kind of just throwing <laughs> throwing a number out there. But tell tell me about Carlos Ortiz. Like, is there anything in particular that sort of jumped out? Because he's not really on my radar at all. But honestly, I might have just kind of like lost over him. It's very possible. So he just checked every single box for me again, though, around the green, off you know, strokes in, off the tee. I think course history, I don't remember what it was. I, I don't really, I didn't weight course history that hired anyway, but putting, I think that 
he's due for better putting based on who he is as a, a player and just his profile overall, especially on these very, very, very fast greens that we're likely to see. But around the green, he is one of the top guys for me overall in strokes gained around the green. And that's something that I weighted very strongly. He's a really good iron player. Um, and then let's see, what was the other thing? I'm sorry. And then off the tee, he's been very accurate off the tee. I think that's going to be very important here. And you can get a, like everybody was talking about how much this is a bombers course, but I think, if you can get some roll with how dry it's going to be, you don't have to be a bomber, but he's not like a short player either. So like he can hit the ball pretty far. It's not elite or anything like Rory and Bryson and Luke list and guys like that, but he does hit the ball pretty far, but long story short, it is off the tee in the around the green for him. And just me expecting better putting with how fast the greens are going to be. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Joel, seven K range. Who are some guys that you like? Yeah, I think there is, there's some value here. Unfortunately, you know, we have to keep an eye on ownership as the week goes on to make sure we are making the smart plays here because a lot of these guys will be interchangeable. Uh, but at the top of the range, the first guy is Stuart Sink. Like, let's not forget, the last time we saw this guy, he was on fire. And it wasn't a fluke, oh, one week he got hot and that was it. He, I mean, for the Heritage, he was 12th at the Masters and he was 19th at the So this guy has three of top 20s in his last three outings. Uh He's playing so well, and it doesn't feel like his ownership is going to be that high, especially at this price range. Um, I think Sink could be a, a really good play to go back to here. Uh, coming down here, I also like Brandon Steele. So, you know, if we're going to look at a place where, um, you know, trending is in the direction, he's got a 21st, a 19th, and a second in his last five outings. So, you know, he's got the capabilities of kind of getting near that ceiling that we need. Um, he doesn't have much of a, of a course history. He does, you know, and, you know, I will, I guess if you count five and six years ago, he's got a good course history, but that's a long time ago. Uh, but, you know, he's capable of, of playing well on this course. So uh, he can be another interesting play, especially as we're getting down this low. One of my favorite plays down in this range, though, and, and that's the highest ranking on my model in this range, is um, – uh, well, there's two guys. Taylor Gooch is one of them. But my the my favorite of the two because I get these two guys confused Taylor Gooch and Lanto Griffin. Mm -hmm. So Lanto Griffin is is the one that he's grading out really well. Not again, not much of a course history out of him. Um, but in terms of the metrics that I was kind of favoring for this course, he grades out super well. I mean, those long par fours, he he has one of the highest grades in the whole tournament. His driving distance is above average. He does above average on those long irons, those two hundred plus. He is great at the three putt avoidance. So. Everything is he's checking every box and he's typically one of those guys, like especially when we talk about get your cut makers, like he should make the cut. He's pretty safe for that. Um, it's more of a matter of, you know, how high will he go if you want to take down a GPP? That makes sense. Can I give yeah, you one more guy real quick? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. All right. GPP guy that's going to save you a ton of salary, Pat and Kassire. You know, I don't get Pat and Kassire. I genuinely don't understand the love. I for never him. get him right. If that helps. There's so many people. I shouldn't say so many. There are people who love Pat and Kazire, and they're like really avid Kazire guys. And I don't know. Again, I, you know, when I looked at him for this tournament, I just looked at the last three or four tournaments. I didn't look long term. So that's you know, that's again. I normally go back thirty six ish rounds, but for for him in particular, I only looked at a few tournaments because for me, I was like, well. I don't think I'm going to pick him in spite of a couple people liking him, like Nick, for example. But let me look at like what he's done the last four tournaments and it's been pretty bad i mean he's losing strokes almost everywhere he gains sometimes with the putter he gains sometimes off the tee but overall it's been kind of a mess even though he's made a couple cuts so i'm like trying to figure it out again that was just a very short sample size but what what are we doing with kazire here yeah so my oh, take on kazire and i've said this before with like other guys no we have like a category of golfers that are super volatile that we prefer for showdown than the full round he's been and he's been in He's been initiated in that crew now, right? He's with your Joel Domins, with your Benny Hands. Like, look at last week. He was atrocious with his irons on Friday and Saturday to the point where, like, I looked back at the data and I was like, there was no reason to play him on Sunday and showdown. Like, it was just so bad. And he came down on Sunday and was one of the best guys and went, he like, was. you know, five or six under. He was unreal. And so, mm -hmm. like, from a from a tournament, like, that, playing day-to-day, -day, there was no reason to think you should have played him in showdown. But he's one of those guys that he can get hot. He has the capability of hitting those 200-yard iron shots and getting close and stringing together a bunch of birdies. So for me, I probably won't have him as much as in the in the week-long tournament, but it'll definitely be on my showdown radar this week. 
Nick, any follow-up there? No, that's a that's a fair way to play him. I guess it's a guy you kind of just, if you want to wait day by day and make sure he makes a cut because he certainly could kill you and, and not make it to Saturday. I just think it, it's the 7K range. Like, there's so much condensed ownership that we usually don't see. I mean, Aaron Wise is a guy that I was interested in, and then I saw that he's going to be 10% owned. Like, Aaron Wise in a field of 156 golfers, I think it is, and he's that high owned. No thanks. Cameron Davis at 15, I think, 15 to 20. Like, no, I'd rather have Patton Casares from the area. I think he's an Alabama boy, hits the shit out of the ball. Um, I don't know if we can curse on the show, but whatever, I'm getting pumped up. We I can. think if he's going to be 2 to 5% owned, Patton Casares around on the Bermuda Greens, I think he should be volatile but good for GPPs. Do not touch him in cash. But, yeah, he's someone that my model seems to like. I, I graded him like 38th overall, and that's quite high for a guy at that price range. I, I will say this, because um, you did mention Aaron Wise, and I do think he he's a pretty good play on this course. He's not one of my main plays in the 7K range, but I mean, his history here is really good. And frankly, his recent history is is pretty good as well. Um, he grades out pretty well for this course off the tee, on approach, uh, around the green game isn't bad. It's usually the put- putter that trips him up. But understand when you're listening to this, what Nick just said. You know, he's talking about ownership. He's talking about 10, 15%, whether it's Aaron Wise or Cameron Davis. He's talking about, you know, a big tournament. But if you want to play a guy like that in a single entry, for example, uh, it's still a little chalky, but it's okay. If you want to play him in a cash game, it's okay. So make sure, because this happens in Discord a lot, where somebody will say, oh, I'm definitely not playing this guy because, or I'm not playing all of this group of guys because they're chalky. But if you're playing a cash game, you can play some of the chalk. If you're playing a single entry, especially if it's like, you know, a 444 or, you know, 1,111 people, which, you know, that's not a random number. Those are actual tournament sizes. Like you can afford to take some chalk. You don't. So, so I, I think, I, I think I just need to clear that up because sometimes in discord, I think people are getting confused because they're playing the single entries, but they're also hearing, Oh, I guess I can't play that guy. It's like, no, no, no. you got to distinguish. And that's why all of us in discord, um, Sicily kid does this a great job of this. Patrick does. I do. Um, we all do. We ask people, well, what tournament are you playing? I can't just grade your lineup. If or I can't assess your lineup and its deficiencies if I don't know if it's a cash game or a single entry or 150 max. So that's something that everybody kind of needs to think about when they when they're constructing their lineup, but then when they're asking for advice in their lineup. I'll tell you guys I like in the 7K range before we get to the super punt range. I also like Stuart Sink. It's funny because not only is he a winner this year on, on multiple occasions, but He's actually really long off the tee. I think people have this misconception about him that he's short off the tee. He's an older guy. He's, I think, 47 years old. He's in the top 20 in terms of driving distance last 36 rounds. So basically this entire calendar year, he's in the top 20. Of this 155-person field, this 47-year-old that we all think is a guy that just kind of chips it and you know matriculates <laughs> the ball down the field. No, no, no. That's not him. He actually dri- He's driving it longer than John Rahm. Like the guy that we think is maybe the best guy to win this tournament and and in a tournament that off the tee really matters and driving distance really matters. Listen, Stuart Sink has plenty of bad rounds, so he could absolutely miss this cut. His floor is missing the cut, but his ceiling is clearly, maybe he doesn't win it with this field, but his ceiling is clearly like a top 10, a top 15. And and I I think people need to reconsider who this guy is because he's doing it on, on a level that doesn't really make any sense. I also like Brandon Steele. He almost made my initial picks article. Believe it or not, I had him written up. He was one of, I think, 13 players. This is on windailysports.com. I think this is free for those of you listening. Um, But I actually deleted him. It's one of the very few times I've done this. So I cut 13 down to 12. I literally just took the paragraph and delete because there was something I didn't like. I think it was the proximity ranges that that got got me caught up. But Brandon Steele's like the Rodney Dangerfield of golf. He's always disrespected and he always just kind of like top 25. So I don't mind that play at all. I'll mention Matt Wallace. I like him. I like Matt Jones. Um, big, big fan of him on this course. My secret weapon last week was Kyle Stanley. Uh, by the way, the secret weapon is now 34 and six, and he is now priced above that 6K range. So he's no longer a secret weapon viable, but I, his history here is curiously really good in spite of the fact that he's a relatively short hitter. I think his game is coming on a little bit. I mean, he wasn't amazing last week, but he was good. And I think at this price, like I think he's 7,100. I think him and like guys like Aaron Wise are in play. I think Stanley might be a decent pivot off a popular Aaron Wise, though. So um, any comments there before we get into the 6K range? One thing I'll add about the uh, the ownership discussion is I, I, I'm with you. See, I see a lot of people talking about, oh, we got to avoid all the high ownership. And another way to frame that 
is saying you want to avoid all the guys that everyone thinks are the best plays to play this week, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, when you think about it that way, like, I don't know if you want to avoid all of the chalk, right? You definitely don't want to play all of the chalk. You don't want to play everyone that's chalky because that makes you have no uniqueness and that's going to be hard to win tournaments. But I, I would always say, like, there's always one or two because there's a reason everyone likes them, right? And so don't feel like you can't play any of the chalk. Just you want to be conscious that you're not overdoing it. Right, right. Nick, any anything to add there? No, I, I'm 100% with you guys there, I think. Cool. Okay, so 6K range. Um, this is another big range, as it always is. Um, <laughs> I don't know how far down you guys you guys even kind of looked, because I think a lot of people, when they get down to like 6,300, they just kind of stop looking, 6,400. I mean, there are some names down here. Like even a, there's a guy that's 6,200 that I actually think is really good for this course. Um, you know what? I'll start this time. Let me give you just a handful of names that, that I like. I, I hope I don't miss anybody. Um, I think Adam Shank's recent play has been really good. Um, I don't know that he's a great course fit here, but I think if you're going to ride in the 6K range, if you've got a guy that's been top 25-ing tournaments, like I think it's like a, a few in a row now, I think that's something to pay attention to. The ball striking has been there. I think Luke List is a great course fit. He has decent history here. Um, Wyndham Clark is a guy I'm not usually on, but he can hit it long. I know Nick has, was on him about uh, – four or five, six weeks ago, and it really paid off for him. I was regrettably uh, on the sideline cheering for Nick because I didn't roster him. Uh, so Wyndham Clark, Roy Sabatini, a shorter hitter, but has had success here. Brandon Hagee, another Nick Brettwish special. Um, he can bomb it. Approach is always going to be his potential downfall, but, I mean, it's not like he hits it you know, sideways. So if, if he can get it there off the tee and he has decent approach, um, he might be okay. I wrote down Hammer and Hank Lebiota and Scott Piercy as kind of like, straight punt plays but the real punt play i wanted to address was will gordon now i think he had to withdraw last week because of covid so i don't i I don't know how to assess where he's at i don't know when he was sort of diagnosed with covid because it's weird for him to be playing the following week so it's something to track but it's 6200 i mean will gordon is actually a really good course fit here And and i think that's a guy that let's put it this way if you were scanning this list and you saw will gordon at 6900 you'd be like yeah okay yeah, we'll go. I might, I might, I might do that. So I just think it's really curious that he's 6,200. And I think, believe it or not, there are times where like a 6,200 or a 63, like you see Bryce Garnett down here, Cameron Piercy, uh, Akshay Batia, Vincent Whaley, who's been making cuts at like a ridiculous rate. Um, there, there are guys down here, especially in the non-single entry tournaments, that you you can throw in and don't be shocked if they're top 40, top 50. Um, so that's my 6K range. Um, Nick, I'll start with you. I know this is not a range that you, you're typically comfortable with. Nobody is. Anybody that flashed for you, though? Yeah, this week I actually love this range. I love Wyndham Clark. He's going to be unowned. I think he's an elite play. He checked every single box for me. Um, there's a couple others. Let me get into it. I'm not going to play Harry Higgs this week, but we already gave him a shout-out. I think Patrick Rogers is worth a look at 6,500. I think this is a course that sets up really nicely for him. And then Joseph Bramlett is going to be unowned, 6,300. He was a very, very, very strong play for me here, and he's also plus 500 to finish top 40 on points bet and fan duel. And then um, I like Will Gordon. I, I think that's he's a guy that kind of popped up on my model um, as a as a true value in like gambling on the top forty markets. But Bramlett, I think, is going to be my guy. And um, who did I say earlier? Wyndham Clark. I think those are my two, and I absolutely love this range because what they do to your lineup. I, I think I'd honestly rather play Bramlett than uh, Patton Kassar Now that I look at it, because I, <laughs> I thought Bramlett was like sixty eight hundred. I didn't know he's sixty five. So yeah. Give well, me that. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, we can split the difference with with Wyndham Clark or Will Gordon. Let, let me give you some context here. Driving distance, last 36 rounds. You got Bryson at number one. Roy McIlroy is number two. Number three is Wyndham Clark, Nick's guy. Number four is 6,200 Will Gordon, who, for the record, he's 6,200 for a reason. The approach game and the around the green game in particular have not been good, but he absolutely bombs it off the tee, fourth in this field. Luke List is five. Uh, Nick Brettwish's boy, Brandon Hagee, is seventh. And then you go down to about 12, and none other than Joseph Bramlett, who was one spot ahead of Joaquin Neiman and Xander Schauffele. So, And then Sink is a few under that, and then Matt Jones is right under Sink. All of these guys I just mentioned, including Patrick Cantley, who's right below Matt Jones, are all in the top 20 in driving distance the last 36 rounds. So, yeah, these are guys, man, that, that this is the course for them. If, if These guys are showing up to this course, and, yeah, the talent field is, like, ridiculous – 
but they're like, this is my time. This is my time to like, kind of like gain. I have an advantage here relative to most of the field. And that's an absolute objective fact. So it would not shock me at all if some of these, you know, mid 6K range, high 6K, low 6K range guys actually flash here. And with that, Joel, who do you like? Who do you got your eye on? So I got one who's at the 6K flat range, which I don't think I've ever recommended anyone that cheap. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, that's so not I'm, a thing. I'm wait. going real low. Um, I'm wait, can even... I guess? Can I guess yes. who that is? I want to yes. like, like, it's going to take me like five minutes to like scroll down. Here. <laughs> oh man. You know, it's funny because these names aren't terrible. Okay. My guess is going to be, I mean, none of these guys are particularly good off the tee. Um, Jeez. Uh, oh, um, my guess is going to be Kelly Craft. No, I've played him before, but he wasn't six K flat when I played him. And you almost invoke Bova and Pelwell. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Not him, but I do. I like oh. him too because I liked him in Showdown last week, and he was kind of trending in the right direction. So there's almost two six K flats. I like Bova and Pelwell too, but the the actual play that I'm that I'm recommending, and I, I might butcher his name, is Sung Yul No. The reason why I like him is two reasons. One, distance he's excelled. So these longer holes are something that are one of his strengths. So that's be one area he sticks out. And he's got two top ten years. Now, I know they were a long time ago. It wasn't recently. But any guy who's got two top tens in a course where it's he's this cheap, I'm not saying playing in cash lineups, that does not seem like a good idea. I'm not saying playing them everywhere. But if you have a lineup where you need a 6K flyer to throw out there, I think he's a reasonable flyer to take um, with, with a little bit of upside here. I totally I think, agree with that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Going, sorry. And you know, so then just to kind of round out the the 6K range, I, I don't want to get too too far too low here, but I agree with, with Will Gordon. I think when if we're focusing on distance, um, you know, he's someone that excels. He does seem like he's probably priced a little bit too low. Uh, I think Christopher Ventura could be interesting this week. Uh, you know, he seemed to have been playing well. He, he missed the cut at the Valspar, but he did flash. Where, you know, round one, he looked like he, he maybe was in a – um, you know, Akshay Bhatti, as everyone knows, is a young up-and-coming player. He's not very probably would put him right now in that category of showdown plays more so than week-long. Uh, but he is someone that I will be targeting this week and will be on my ra- radar. And for the most part, the rest of this range, I'm not going to be too interested in. But at the very top of the range, I think one of my favorite plays is going to be – well, I'm with Wyndham Clark as well. But, um, well, there's two plays. There's Michael Thompson, who – He's been, you know, he's making cuts. He's made his last four, um, and in the six K range, if we can get a cut maker uh, with some upside, I, th- I think we're we're getting that in Michael Thompson. But I think my my favorite play in this range that seems to be getting overlooked, who's been playing well pretty consistently, is Cam- Camilo Villegas. Uh, oh, Camilo- he withdrew. He withdrew. Oh, did he? All right. Well, yeah, I think I think he got COVID uh, earlier this morning or, or late last night. So I like the play and he made the cut last week and he was, he was pretty good as well. So he's good. Um, Anybody else in the six K range or did you just cover it? That's it. That's the range. All right. (laughs) Did we, did we miss anybody guys? Was there anybody in any range where you were like, Oh man, I I probably should have brought this guy up. Nick, I'll start with you. Anybody we missed that you like? I was, nah, I mean, I'm just interested in your guys thoughts on Ricky Fowler overall, but. No, Don't do uh, it. I think we I think we covered everybody that I was interested in, and uh, it's going to be the Bramlet Bramlet week. <laughs> Bramlet week, I love it. Joel, how about you? I thought when I first saw Ricky Feller, I was like maybe, and then it, like three seconds of thought, I was like, I can't play Ricky. No, never mind. <laughs> so I, I just yeah, right now, I just I can't I can't get behind him. One guy that I think is interesting for a GPP, going to look different. Who I think maybe trending in the right direction is Gary Woodley. We didn't mention him. He's mm-hmm. a tendency to be really long. Um, I think he's starting to trend in the right direction where he's been showing some better. He puts together a week. I think he can do really well. That's he was fair. so bad last week, though. I was I was on him. I think his win ticket was 80-1. to 1, But I, I always love Gary Woodland, and his price is just getting criminally low. But I don't know. He he's he was good at Valero, and then I don't know, 142nd yesterday. He shot a 77 opening round. That's just tough. But Damn. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with him because he was so, so good three years ago. I don't know. And so I say this, and it doesn't mean that he's going to do well this week, but I'd almost rather someone who shoots a 77 one day 
than 374 or something like that, right? Like, because that's just one implosion, and then he can get some form back and then have a good round the next week or something. Like that. Oh, I agree. He can go low for sure. Yeah, that um, makes we gotta, sense. Hey, what about this guy, Seamus Power, the Irishman? Oh, so he is I, – I think when Viegas withdrew, uh, Power actually entered the tournament. Uh, I actually think that's a decent play. I mean, he's actually a, a pretty good course fit. And if – you know, I have to take a second look at this because I think he has some course history here, and I don't think it's that bad. Um, I don't know if any of you can pull him up. But as, as far as a punt play is concerned, I don't have a problem with that at all. Just I'm play like, for him. I actually kind of like it. I, I think he should be a good course fit here, so – uh, I, I actually do you see what is his price? So yeah, some of these some of these things that we're looking at may not have updated it. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm like refreshing um, because it was sixty three, sixty three hundred. Okay. Yep. And do you see his course history here? Maybe no. last five years or so. Hold right, on, I'm gonna... I, I could else pull up what my model graded, but let me see where he's at. I'm going to pull it up as well here. And by the way, don't I, I don't have any. I don't have anything for course history, so I don't think he's had an official event here. Um, okay, for, on the PGA, on. maybe on the Corn Ferry. I don't know. Um, uh, one one guy not to forget though, um, this Vincent Whaley guy. He's not going to measure out very well, but he's made now at least five cuts in a row, and these are like real tournaments. This is not Corn Ferry stuff. So um, some of the tournaments where he's finished really well. Uh, and by the way, he's 6,400 in case I didn't mention that, but we're, we're like at Punta Cana in Puerto Rico. So you're not getting the strokes gain metrics from there. And and why that's really relevant is if you actually look at his strokes gain metrics over 36, 50 rounds, they're going to be pretty deplorable because he's not getting the benefit of those tournaments, some of those tournaments that he did really well. So I'm not saying it's a great play, but, but since we're talking about the punt range and guys like Seamus Power, I mean, think Vincent Whaley is, and guys like Will Gordon, for example, and maybe Sung Yil. No, I don't think that's a bad play. Um, are are worth consideration. Um, so with that, guys, let's get to the to the final thing here. Um, Nick, I'll start with you. Do you have any outright bets? My outrights, right? I got six, and they're all kind of. Oh, I got. I'll give you five. Uh, Fleetwood seventy to one on DraftKings. Tony Finau twenty nine to one on FanDuel. Probably should just light that ticket on fire and. Roast some marshmallows on it or something. I guess s'mores are in season now. Uh, Joaquin Neiman, 35 to 1 on DraftKings. Will Z, 30 to 1 on points bet. That was like not much value for me there. But Patrick Cantley, 30 to 1 on DraftKings. I had him graded at 22 to 1. So to get eight points on an outright, I like that a lot. But uh, Fleetwood, I had it for 35 to 1, I think. So he was like twice the value. But I like listen, Cantley at 30 to 1 big time. Listen, I'm not a Cantley guy, but 30 to 1, you almost kind of have to take. Like that's not that's not right. That's not a right. That, that I don't care how bad he is. That number, it shouldn't be getting up to 30 to 1. Like that's yep. crazy. I'm going to have yeah, to click no, that button. No bombers for me, though. Like nothing 100 to 1 or anything like that. I don't have a Justin Rose or Hideki ticket really this week besides Fleetwood, I guess, would be my my risky pick. But it's just this is a tournament. I think the cream's going to rise to the top. Before I agree with you there. Before I get to Joel on his outrights, and then we'll do first-round leaders and wrap the show up. But one thing about Cantley, if you don't want to play him in DFS because he's just burned you too many times, there's too many other good guys in that range – you can put an outright ticket on them. I mean, thirty to one. You put, you know, put five bucks, ten bucks on them, and and at least you have something to root for on that end. Or maybe you want to pick him top twenty, and I'm sure his top twenty isn't prohibitive to bet either if he's a thirty to one outright. So um, that's just something to consider. Like there's certain guys you might not want to play in DFS. Maybe you put a small play on them in, in the outright market or something like that. Joel, uh, any outrights? I got two outrights. One who I, I don't really think is going to win the tournament. I just think the odd, the number is not right. So if we're, I think we're getting some value if you want to. You know, take a small bet and swing for the fences. And it's Gary Woodland, 150 to 1. I mean, just look at where his DraftKings price is compared to the other guys that are 151, right? There's a discrepancy. He's priced way higher than those guys on DraftKings, but he had his odds to win the tournament. So that's telling you one of two things. Bet him to win and probably don't play him on DraftKings. But, um, but you know, if you want to take a 150 to 1 flyer on somebody, I think that's a viable take. And then in, in a more realistic, I like – I like Max Homa. I mean, I think Homa's been playing well. You're getting 35 to 1, which feels like pretty good odds. Uh, and he's more the more realistic guy to, to win the tournament. Fair enough. Um, I'm going to give you four. I'll probably give you a few more first-round leaders than four. But let's go with – I'm going to do Victor Hovland at 20 to 1. That's kind of my shorter shot. I mean, I, I like Rom, but I, I'm not willing to take 10 to 1. Uh, I got Neiman at 40 to 1. I think he's now on DraftKings. I think Nick mentioned it. He's 35 to 1, I think. Um 
Cantley, I think I'm going to have to take it 30 to one, even though that he wasn't on my radar, but, but 30 to one is, is too good of a number. And then my final one is uh, I'm not a Bubba guy, but Bubba 55 to one, considering how he's been playing. Uh, I think he's a good course fit here. So I think 55 to one is a pretty nice number. So those are my outrights. Nick, did you do any first round leaders? I got three. Shane nice. Lowry, 80 to one. Francesco Molinari, 100 to one. And Sebastian Munoz, 100 to one. Uh, I will not take anything less than 75 to one in a first round leader. But uh, shout out Keegan Bradley because last week we had that one and that was sick. So was that's cool. right. We had, um, I had my little soliloquy on D- Denny McCarthy, but we also had four other. Uh, first round leaders and Keegan Bradley was one of them on this very show. It was one of them on the better golf pod as well, which Nick does with uh, at T off sports. That's Spencer Aguiar. Great, great show. Um, And we had a lot of the, a lot of the community, frankly, uh, the Twitter community uh, that we're all friends with and that kind of see our stuff and we see their stuff. um, They were on it too. So that was, that was a pretty cool feeling. Joel first round leaders. So it's funny. I have, I had one first round leader and my whole plan was it to make it, you know, put my put your full budget to on this one, right? And mm-hmm. this I'm just gonna go all in and hope if it hits for hitting big. And Nick already set them. So now there's two of us on them. Now I'm like, whoa, wait, maybe, maybe it is a good play. So it's Sebastian Munoz at 100 to one. You know what's really funny? Oh, this three. is crazy. Make it three. You, okay, I'm gonna show you like this is like chicken scratch, and I don't know if you can see it. Can you nah, see that? Oh yeah, yeah, I see him. Do you I see think. a crossed off name? I yeah, crossed, Munoz I crossed yeah. off Munoz and it was only because I wanted to fit in a couple other guys that, that like, as we were talking on the show, I was like, I kind of like that. So I'm going to throw them in there. Now I obviously have to throw them back on there. Did you see it was a hundred to one or 150 to one? It's a hundred to one on DraftKings. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Um, I mean, of course that has to be one of my plays now. I mean, I can't, I can't back off if both of you are on that. So I'm going to have to delete somebody else. So, okay. Let me give you my first round leader plays. Um, you know what? I'm going to delete the not fun one. I'm going to delete Victor Hopland at 28 to one because it's first round leader. Like, what am I even doing? That was dumb. Okay. (laughs) So I'm going to give you six guys. I'm going to give you. And then of course I'm going to give you the breaking news. I'm going to give you Joaquin Neiman at 45 to one. I'm going to give you Cam Davis at 100 to 1. I'm going to give you Aaron Wise at 100 to 1. Sebastian Munoz at 100 to 1. And Will Gordon at 150 to 1. I think I just gave you five. Okay, so the sixth guy, and this is the breaking news. Nick, I'm not sure if you're caught up with what happened last week, but unfortunately, even though we hit the Keegan Bradley bet, I technically told everybody, to put their parents' mortgage on Denny McCarthy. And again, I, I put all my picks out there, but Denny McCarthy was kind of the main one. I said, hey, listen, put your checking account, you know, put your parents' mortgage, anything you have in PayPal or Venmo, put it on Denny McCarthy at 70 to 1 as first round leader. That's, fair. That's a fair ask. It's a fair ask, but good news, because I specifically said, do not put anything from your savings account on Denny McCarthy. So here we are. We have everything still loaded up in our savings account. And on this Tuesday night at 9.07 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I am telling the entire world, world, your first round leader at the Wells Fargo Championship at 66 to 1 is none other than Emiliano Grio. You're welcome, America. You're welcome, world. Joel, any thoughts? I like it. I like Grio. I'm in. I'm in. Taking all of my savings, every penny I've won on DraftKings over the last three years, putting it on that. Right. And then you can probably like reestablish the mortgage payments on your parents' house. Nick, how do you feel about emptying your savings account on Emiliano Grio as first round leader? I'm out on Grio. He's due for regression. But okay. I'll put uh I'll put Abby's money on it or something. It's not mine. Then I didn't lose the bet. She did. Fair. Uh your entire savings on Sebastian Munoz? Like, what are we doing? We gotta put our entire savings on somebody as first round leader. So who's it gonna yeah, be? Yeah, give me Munoz. I'm with it. If Joel's on it too, I like that. I literally cannot believe that you were on the two, technically. <laughs> I know I, I I mean I truly was. I literally, no joke, I had crossed that off on this sheet that I showed on camera. I literally crossed that off maybe six, seven minutes before. You guys actually both said Sebastian Munoz. And it was only because I wanted to fit in Aaron Wise and, and uh and uh Will Gordon. 
That was the only reason. So, uh, yeah, I got a Munoz is the guy. I mean, maybe Munoz should have been the breaking news. I don't know. I, but I'll say this. Please forgive everyone who follows us on Twitter if Munoz does become the first round leader because they're going to get pounded with this Glees clips of oh, us playing. Munoz to be the first round leader. <laughs> This is like a first for probably any podcast for three guys to have like somewhere between three and six first round leaders and for all of them to have the same hundred to one shot again as a first round leader is like complete nonsense. And it means that Sebastian Munoz is definitely going to be your first round leader. Joel's on it. Nick's on it. C is on it. We did not consult or collaborate before this podcast. Munoz is a lock. Munoz is an absolute lock. You're everybody. You're welcome. Uh, Nick, any closing thoughts on this Wells Fargo championship as we've already locked in whatever we're putting on hundred to one as first round leader. No, can't lay weak. And if you need a zero percenter, Joseph Bramlett, let's get after it. Nice. Uh, Joel closing, closing thoughts on the Wells Fargo championship. No, I think it's going to be fun. You know, keep in mind, it's a really, really big field. So you know, again, back yeah. to keep in mind, cut makers could be really important. Make sure you get, you can try and get as many six as six as you can. Yeah. And good news, like lately, because it's been so tough and because pricing is so tough, particularly this tournament, there's going to be a really low percentage of six for six. I mean, I actually cashed in the long drive that the hundred dollar single entry with a four out of six last week. I mean, kind of incredible. But my, my bigger point is five out of six in in some of these weeks are kind of becoming the new six out of six, if you know what I mean, where like it's the larger percentage of five out of six that are actually cashing because there's such a low amount of six for six. So if you have a guy miss the cut, especially in kind of the smaller tournaments, maybe a, a thousand and under, two thousand and under, you're still viable, uh, completely viable. So don't get too discouraged if, if you miss one. Hopefully you get a six for six. Hopefully we bring you there. Um, this is the Wind Daily Sports PGA live stream brought to you by me and Sticks Picks and, of course, Draftmaster Flex. And one more thing, Joel, do you, do you want to do it? Do you want to close? Sports. Sports. Ooh.